So Numbers chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 9. It says there, now, now the people began, became like those who complain and whine about their hardships. This is in, a, I'm reading in the Amplified Version. I love the way it puts it there. The people became like those who complain and whine about their hardships. And the Lord heard it. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and devoured those in the outlying parts of the camp. You know, I was thinking about this just now, you know, I said, you know, you know, the Bible says that um, this, uh, you know, the Bible says in uh, John 1, 17, it says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace, which is the unearned, undeserved favor of God and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, you know, as I was thinking about that in the office, I said, you know what, see, because, you know, when Jesus came on the scene, he ushered in a new dispensation of grace, which is the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. Mercy. God is grace, gracious, and he's merciful. And see, in the Old Testament, you know, it was they were under the law. So when you're under the law, punitive measures, you know, are given. If you, if you're, when you're under the law, right? Like if you if you run a stop sign, right, and the policeman decides to apply the law, he'll give you a ticket. You know, there's no need to talk about it. You just get a ticket, points on your license. Now, if he begins to operate under mercy and grace, he'll say, "Look, man, you know you're not supposed to be doing that, man. If I catch you doing that again," You know, you're going to be in trouble, you know. See, that's mercy because you're guilty. Only the guilty need mercy. Being gracious, being kind, you didn't deserve favor, but you, you get it, right? So if he, de but he, if he de decides to apply the law, then he'll, he'll use punitive measures and he'll give you a ticket with points on it. See, now, now we see back here, now, now this is the time of Moses. Now Moses brought the law in. So now... When the people start complaining, there's no grace and mercy here. God begins to start killing people for complaining. <laughs> I'm mean, not talking about these <laughs> people start complaining against, you know, against God and the fire start burning, man. I mean, God, God wasn't playing no games, man. Punitive measures. You know, if you see, again, we're under grace right we're under we're not under the law we're under grace so we start complaining you know and see we don't realize that at the end of the day God's not happy with this see now he showed them how unhappy he was in the old testament he started killing people and then he was like you know God God's not happy about this you know I mean he started taking people out you know now we're under grace you know we start complaining and God don't kill us you know, so we just continue to complain. But don't think God is happy about complaints. He don't like it. And, and, and the Old Testament is a clear indication of what he don't like. Now, just because he don't fry us like a piece of bacon, you know, we think that, we think that you know, it's all right. It's, it's not all right that we're complaining. You know, murmuring, God don't like it. He's not happy about it. 
But because we're not under the law, he don't fry us. You know, he's very merciful. He's very gracious. You know, he's very long-suffering and stuff like that. And he don't, you know, take us out for doing things that displease him, you know. He just kind of, you know, one person said, you know, the, the but the judgment is moving. One person said that, you know, the judgment of God moves slow, but it's constantly moving. So eventually, he's not going to look at, upon it favorably. He don't like it at all, you know. So I say that because, again, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't understand, you know, that things don't happen to us, not because we didn't do nothing wrong, but because God is so gracious. You know what I'm saying? Because the favor of God is on us because, you know, when Jesus came in and he paid the ultimate price, you know, now he's pleading on behalf of us. Now he's next to the father and, you know, the father probably ready to burn us up like bacon. And he's like, you know, I, I paid the price for them, you know, constantly interceding for us. You know, that's his, that's his, his position now at the right hand of the father. He ever lives to make intercession for us. In other words, he's pleading on our behalf. You know what I'm saying? He's, 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 he's holding back the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Now, back then, back then, you know, it, when they start, people start complaining, man, he just kind of just start the fire start burning. <laughs> I mean, you know. So it says now, you know, they start complaining, they started whining, and the Lord heard it. And when the Lord heard it, his anger kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and devoured those in the outlying parts of the camp. It says, so then the people began to cry to Moses. And see, then Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire died out. So intercession is always required. See, again, see, that's, that. see, Moses couldn't start interceding before God started judging. But as soon as he interceded, God stopped the judgment. Thank God we have Jesus right there, right before God starts loosening that judgment on us. To stand right next, sitting right next to God the Father, you know, to plead on our behalf. So we see the ministry of intercession here. Moses begins to pray for these people and God stops, you know, he stops killing them. And, um, but see, but this is the issue, you know, and I, I was thinking about this when I was in the back. See, the people cried, cried to Moses when God started judging. They cried to Moses. And I said, you know, what happens, what happened with Moses is the people started treating him like he was God, like he was a God. So when things start going down, you know, they cried, they didn't cry to God. They cried to Moses. Now, I'm going to get back to that in a second. So when they cried, so when he, when he prayed, God stopped judging. And it said, and, and he named that place Tibera, the place of burning, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. And then it says, the rabble among them who followed Israel from Egypt had greedy desires for familiar and delicious food. And do you know that when they came out of Egypt, it wasn't just Israelites that came out. A lot of Egyptians came with them. They, they followed them out of Egypt, they, and, they and they joined up with them. And, you know, they began to complain and have these greedy desires for the type of food that they used to eat. And then it says, and the Israelites wept again and said, 
who will give us meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate freely and without cost in Egypt. The cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. See, they wanted some food with some little spice in it. <laughs> and I was thinking about this. You know, what's amazing is the devil will always make you think that you had it better before. You know, when you start going through hardships, you start being challenged and stuff like that. It becomes a little difficult for you when you're walking with God. The devil will always try to magnify, you know, what used to happen to you when you was out in the world. And he begins to just shine the light on, you know, those good experiences that you had. So you had it better before when you wasn't serving God. Look at you now. But don't forget, these people were living in slavery. He highlights the food that they ate. Why? Because they're eating manna. You know, the food they're eating is not as tasty as it was before. But, but don't forget, they were eating that food, but they were in slavery. And they were crying to get out of slavery. Now they're out of slavery. Now they're crying because they don't like the food that they're eating outside of slavery. See, the devil always shine a light on something. So you had it better before when you wasn't serving God. You had it better. You had it much better before. You remember when you used to be able to do this and that and the other thing? Now you can't do it. He'll always try to sign that light on it, you know. And he'll always have the wrong people in your ear. See, because now, these, he, he, if, you, if you start hanging around and carrying people with you from the world, they'll begin to remind you of the world. And that's what Egypt is symbolic of the world. And when they brought the Egyptians with them and they joined up with them, they were a constant reminder of the world and the world system. And they began to talk this stuff in their ears. They had greedy desires for familiar food. And it goes on to say here, they say, but now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all in the way of food to be seen but this manna. So here they are complaining, you know. And it says now, skip down to verse 10. And it says now, Moses heard the people weeping, weeping in self-pity through their families. Every man at the doorway of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. And Moses regarded their behavior as evil. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have placed the burden of all these people on me? Was it I who conceived or gave birth to all these people? Was it I who brought them forth that you used to say to me, carry them in your arms as a nurse carries the nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat so that we may eat. See, again, they're, 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 they're going after Moses. They're trying to get him to provide their needs. And I said, you know, that's a problem with magnifying people higher than they should be. The people weren't looking to God for their deliverance. They were looking to Moses for their help. And it's tiring to be someone's God, especially everybody's God. And that's the role he was kind of playing in their life. He's playing God in their life. And now the people are not looking to God, they're looking to him. 
and that becomes overwhelming for him. And he's now he's like he's he's frustrated and he's 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 done with all of this. So he says, I'm not able to carry all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. So if this is the way you're going to deal with me, please kill me at once. If I he says, kill me if I found favor in your sight. <laughs> like, and don't let me see my 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 wretchedness. And I put here as a leader, you know, it's important to realize your limitations and when you're at your, your breaking point, man. He's just like, he's realized, man, I can't, I can't be these people God, man. I mean, this is too much for me. If you're, gonna, if you're gonna treat me like this, just go ahead and kill me, man. Take me out, you know, don't let me, don't let me see my wretchedness. Get me out of here. And it says, accordingly, the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 from among the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and their officers. Or in other words, those that you recognize to have leadership qualities and abilities. And he says, bring them to the tent of meeting or the tabernacle and let them stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take away some of the spirit who is upon you and will put him upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to bear it all alone. So this is, you see, the impartation of the spirit that's on Moses. It begins to go to these other leaders so that they can begin to operate and work with Moses and help him with the burden of leading all of these people that they were leading. So with that, um, let me say this. I, I said, you know, within this text, we find a main purpose for leadership, you know, particularly in ministry. These individuals were personally selected so that they could help Moses bear the burden of leading the people so that he would not have to do it alone. And I put here, you as leaders and those that are future leaders have been selected because the burden of ministry is, is heavy. And, you know, people need prayer. They need someone to talk to. They need someone that can give them direction and guidance. And, um, you know, bottom line is there's just a lot of work to do in ministry. And, um, and in the house of God. And the load has to be equally distributed if it's going to last. You know. And, and the larger things get, you know, the more need it is for leaders to be in position and to be in place so that they can begin to minister to people. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, you know. I mean, it's like even with, you know, not having a large ministry. I mean, just the burden is just uh, it is a lot. I get a lot of calls. I get a lot of people that need prayer, that need, you know, need to talk to me and stuff like that, that need, you know, assistance. I get a call today. Oh, pastor, you know, somebody, you know, there's a, a guy that has five children. He lost his job and, you know, he needs food, you know. So I have to, you know, when I get off work, you know, this upcoming week, I got to go over to the food pantry and, you know, make sure these people got food. So, I mean, you know, I work all day, too. I mean, I mean, it's my privilege, you know, because I can, you know, thank God we can do it. But, you know, when it's one, okay. When it becomes a ton of people, you know what I'm saying? So the, the burden has to be equally distributed so that one person, see, that's how Moses started feeling overwhelmed. Because now he has all of these people, when things start going down, they start coming to him. 
When they ain't got no food to eat, they come in here. When they ain't got no water to drink, they come in here. When, you know, when, when they, you know, are, they, compl- they complain, they begin to complain against him. Everything that's going on, they come, they run to him. So the, the, the burden can start getting heavy, you know. And I put here and see that's why what you do as leaders are, is so important. And when you're not in place, it makes the burden of ministry heavy. Either way, the work will and has to get done, but the load becomes heavier without you. If you're not in position, it becomes heavy. And after a while, even Moses was ready for God to take his life because the burden of ministry was too heavy for him to carry alone. So you have to you have to have no question. People have to be in position and people have to be willing to take on that so that they can help, you know, the pastor help, you know, those that are in leadership, you know, my wife, you know, help us, you know, carry the burden of ministry. And, you know, I'm grateful for everything that you guys do because you guys do a great job of helping to carry the burden in ministry. But as the, minute, as the burden gets heavier, it requires more help, you know. And I just put here, you know, um, that's all, but, but that's also why it's important for us to point people to God and not to become little gods to people. So even with you as leaders, you can't become gods to people. You know, people can't just be running to you for everything. You know, you have to point people to God. You know, you have to, you have to, and that's why, you know, one of the things that I endeavor to do is I always try to teach you guys, you know, how to pray. You know, I try to teach you to read the word of God, to believe it, to begin to practice it. Right? I don't want to be a God to you. I want, I want you to go to God, you know, for yourself. I want you to learn how to, how to approach God and to, to get your needs met by him. I don't want to meet your needs. I want him to meet your needs because I can't do it. You know what I'm saying? I need him to meet my needs. <laughs> you know, so I, I can't meet your need. I need him to meet my needs. You know what I'm saying? So we need to point people as leaders. We need to point people to God. You know, it's all right for a while to, you know, I need prayer. You know, it's all right to pray for people. You know, but eventually we have to teach them to pray and teach them how to go to God for themselves and teach them how to, be, how to believe God for things that they need, you know, and not become people's gods. And I just put here, if you try to be someone's God, they will wear you out with their request that they should be making to God themselves. Now, just to give you a scripture to that, James 5, 13 through 16, it says, Is any among you suffering or afflicted? Let him pray. Or he must pray. Let him pray. If you're afflicted, if you're going through battles, he said, you need to pray. It says, if you're joyful, he is the same praises to God. Is any among you sick? Then it says to call for the elders or the spiritual leaders of the church, and they will pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven see that process see now if you're if you're afflicted you pray if you're going through rough times and you're battling you're struggling you need to pray now if you're sick you need to have somebody the elders of the church they pray for you but if you're afflicted you pray and see that's why we have to teach people you need to learn how to pray 
Now, it's all right for a while to come into, you know, to pray for people and stuff like that. And ain't nothing ever wrong with coming into agreement with people. But you don't want to be there. Their God, every time they're going through something, I just need you to pray. I just need prayer, you know. We need to teach people how to pray so when they start struggling, they know how to go to God for themselves. And then it goes on, you know, so it goes on to say, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. And that the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. See, we have to, we have to impart that to people. They, it goes on to say after that, that that Elijah was a man subject unto like passions, like as we are. Yet he prayed. And when he began to pray, you know, God stopped it from raining for three and a half years. But the bottom line is that he's a man, he was a man. Not he wasn't some superman. He was a man that was subject unto like passions like as we are or in other words he had the same human frailties that we do so there's no such thing as supermen in the kingdom of god you know it's just men you know that learn how to pray and so we're not nobody's superman we're not nobody's god you know god we don't have a corner on god where you know because i'm the pastor he's gonna hear my prayer you're gonna hear your prayers he's gonna hear my prayers you know people teach crazy stuff like that People teach crazy stuff like that, like, you know, like, they're the, their prayers are the only ones that can be heard and get answered. That ain't true, my prayer. Your prayers get answered just like mine. You know, as great as Elijah was, he said he was, he was just a man, subject unto like passions, just like we are, with the same human frailties as we have. As awesome man of God as he was, he was just a man. Not Superman, just a man of God. And, and you're a man of God, a woman of God, you know, and you can pray yourself. And then when we meet people, we got to teach them you can pray and God will hear your prayers and he'll help you just like he helps. He helps me. So anyway, we don't want to become God's to people, but leadership is so necessary. So that's what I wanted to get into tonight. I just wanted to talk, talk a little bit about why leadership was important. And then now I want to kind of get into um, just the qualities and attributes that leaders ought to have. And I will get into this more in detail because I'm going to close in a little bit, but I just wanted to kind of highlight this really quick. And I just put here, to be a good leader in ministry, you need, there's several things that you need. Number one is capability. Two, availability. Three is uh, sustainability then it's important to be a son or a daughter and then to have, of course, the willingness to do it. Now, really quick, number one, capability. As put here, everybody's not just born a leader. Leadership can be taught to a degree, but you must first be born with a gift to be able to lead. Now, I suppose some people are, not, are just meant to follow and there's nothing wrong with that. Therefore, in order to be trained as a leader, you must first have the gift of leadership. See, when, Mo, when, when God told Moses to select people, 70, he said, those that you know to be elders among the people. In other words, they already, people are already gathering to those individuals because when you're a leader, people start gathering to you. You know, that's, that's kind of how you know if you're called to leadership. 
you know, when, when, when people begin to gather to you. So he, he knew these people to be leaders among people, and he grabbed those 70 individuals, and, the anointing, and, then, he, and then the anointing of God came on them for ministry leadership. Because you can just have a natural gift of leadership, but then an anointing had to come on them so that they can flow in the spirit of Moses. So you have to be capable, right? You have to be capable of leading. You just can't put somebody in leadership just because you like them. They have to have a, a gift to be able to lead. And number two, they have to be available because you can be capable but not available. <laughs> so just because you're capable of leading doesn't mean that you're available to lead. You know, some people have conflicts, jobs, and family, and, you know, different things that hinder them from being, being able to serve as a leader in ministry. So you have to be available, uh, capable, but you also have to be available. And then some people are available, but they're not capable. <laughs> so there's always, you know, so you have to be both. You have to be capable and you have to be available. And one more thing I add to that is the great challenge is that some people are capable of leading, again, but not available, while others are available, but not capable. The key is to find someone that is both capable and available. Now, I know that you guys, you're capable, and that's why you're here. But only you can say whether or not you're available. That's it. I know you're capable, but only you can say that I'm available. You know, I'm making myself available to be a leader in this house and to do what needs to be done in order to take this thing to the next level. Then number three is you have to be sustainable. Now, this me now... This means to be able to maintain at a certain level for an extended period of time. Some people are capable and available for a season. They don't have anything going on in their life right now that conflicts with serving in ministry. So they give it all they got until something comes along and challenges that. And that's what happens with a lot of people. You know, they're capable, they're available now. And sometimes that, they ain't got no job. You know, they're looking for a job, and so I'm available. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. You know, and they're, they're available and they're capable for that time. They find something, and then it begins to challenge their ability to come here, and they have to make a choice. It's like, do I continue to serve, or do I go and do my, my other thing? And sometimes the other thing wins out. So you're capable and available for a time. But if you're going to be a real leader, you have, to, you have to be sustainable. You have to make your mind up that this is what you're going to do, no matter what happens. I made my mind up when I was, um, when I was serving in ministry in, at Love of Jesus in Orange. I said, um, when I made a commitment to serve Pastor Jason as well, first, I'll go before that. When I made a commitment to to sing in the choir <laughs> and be in a band I had to make a decision I'll never forget it I was um I was just really getting hot for God and I'm sitting there and I'm like you know I, I want to be I want to be um you know in the choir and I want to be in a band particularly I wanted to be in a band play piano you know so God said to me well if you do that I never forget it so if you do that because at the time I was just coming to church on Sunday faithfully I was coming to church, and if, if I felt like it, 
So I come early one service, and then, you know, if I will feel like it or like the preacher Sunday night, I come then. <laughs> and then maybe you'll see me on Wednesday. <laughs> but God spoke to me, you know. He said, now, if you decide to sing in this choir and get into this ministry and begin to play in this band or whatever, then that means you got to be here Sunday morning, you got to be here Sunday night, and you got to be here Wednesday night. You know, you have to, if you're going to do it, you got to make a commitment to this thing and you got to do it and you have to, and you have to do it. And he gave me an opportunity to determine whether or not I was able to do that. And I said, okay, I'm willing to make, I'm willing to make that commitment. And then the, the commitment just got greater the higher I went in ministry. You know, I started off, I got ordained as an elder. And then a couple of years after that, I was ordained as a minister. And then a reverend. And then I was, you know, I was Pastor Jason's armor bearer. And then that required a, a even more responsibility. And then I wasn't just there Sunday morning for one service. And then Sunday night, we had three services. <laughs> I had to be there for all three morning services. And then Sunday night service. And then Wednesday night service. And then, because I was Pastor Jason's armor bearer, and he, and he loves the fellowship after service, then that means I had to stay here. I, I, I had to be there before he got there in the morning. And then I had to be there until he left at night. Sometimes I was 12, 30, 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the morning. And then I had to go to work the next day. So, I mean, like, you know, that's why, you know, sometimes I laugh, you know, when I, when, when you know, when I, when, when, when I think about, you know, what I ask you to do as a parent in comparison to what my wife and I had to do when we was in ministry. Now, Rev, when she was, when she was in ministry at Bishop Barber's and she was serving Bishop Barber's armor bearer, she was, she had to come Saturday because they were, they started off like us. They were in, uh, they were in the leaguers building in, uh, in Newark and they had to set the place up. So she would come Saturday set the place up, you know, set up all of the chairs, because it was a community center. Set up all the chairs, you know, every, got everything get together and ready for Sunday service. She was in church on Sunday. Then she would come with bishops Sunday night to our church. And then Monday, they had some kind of Bible study at Bishop Barber's house, right? And then Tuesday night was their Bible study. And then, so they had Bible study at Leaguers on Tuesday night. And then Wednesday, they would come to our church because Bishop would come to our church. Thursday, had, they had a woman's support group. <laughs> and, then, and then sometimes, Friday, you know, Bishop would go preach and then she'd have to go with her. So, I mean, she was always... <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the, the commitment was great. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It was, it was great. But, you know, she made a decision. You know, I made a decision. You know, I'm, I'm going to be here. My pastor needs me to be here. I'm going to be here. And I didn't let anything come in between that. I remember when I had, um, I was working for uh, Prudential at the time. And I was working the night shift. I was working from 12 to 8. And um, every day. And Wednesday, I told him, look, I got I to gotta be to church on Wednesday night. I can't, I can't do Wednesdays. I gotta, I gotta be, I gotta be in church, you know. So that showed me right there. If you take a stand for God, then He'll work things out for you. 
See, what happens when most people, they don't take a stand for God. You know, the, the job says, I need you to work. And they, they are afraid to lose the job, so they say, okay. And they don't take a, take a stand for God. Or, you know, they'll say, I just need you this one time. But if they can, if they can get you one time, and they know you can get you one time. See, the, the devil knows that he can get you with one time. You know, a couple of weeks ago, by the last year, yeah. And then it'll become a regular thing, where it's every week. It starts off little by little, and then it increases. But I took a stand. I said, I can't do it. You know, I can't come on Wednesday nights. So they made an adjustment for me, and they let me work from 10 to 6 on Wednesdays, 12 to 8 every other night, and then Wednesdays, 10 to 6. And I was able to leave and come, you know, get to church by 7. I mean, seven, church started at 730, so I had plenty of time to leave from work and get there. But I made that commitment. Even now, they try to get me to some time to work. They got events on Sunday. I said, I can't come. I'm a pastor. I can't do that. <laughs> so, and, you know, my CEO sometimes says, I expect everybody to be there. I'll come in after. I say, you know, I'm a pastor. I can't. She's like, no, I don't expect you to be here. I just got to. <laughs> so, you know, but I, I'm going to take a stand. You know what I'm saying? So, and if you take a stand for God, then he'll work things out for you. But when you give in easy, you know, then, then, then the devil begins to pull people out. So you got to be sustainable. You know, you have to be able to sustain it. And I, we need sustainable leaders, ones that don't allow their life to conflict with the work of God. Because at the end of the day, only what you do for Jesus is going to count for eternity. Thank God for a job and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, only what you do for Jesus is going to count for eternity. And what the devil wants to do is he wants to pull you out of doing what you got to do for God so that you can do your own thing. That's, that's all it's about. He wants you to stop doing what you do for God so you can do something else. Now I'm about to close. Now, I always, you gotta be a, a son or a daughter, for sure. And I put here, not, not everyone that attends this church is my wife and my spiritual son and daughter. Our spiritual sons and daughters, bottom line is they have our spirit. They flow like we flow, and they represent us before the people. That's how you can tell. They do our thing. They don't, they don't do their own thing. They flow like we flow and represent us, again, before the people. And the spirit of this house, the spirit of this house is a spirit of service. That's the spirit of this house. We are servant, my wife and I are servant leaders. You don't see us sitting with our feet up waiting for you to serve us. You don't see that. You know, you, you see us in the action. I'm at the food pantry. I'm not sending you to go to the food pantry. I'm there too. You know what I'm saying? Um, I set this sound equipment up. I don't make nobody else do it. I do it. You know, um, if something needs to be done around here, you know, if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. I don't have no problem doing that. My wife comes here early, you know, Sunday, get her things ready for children's church, clean the bathrooms downstairs. You know, things, some things that you don't even know we do behind the scenes, we're doing. She's at the, her food pantry running, you know. So we're, we're, we, lead, we, we, we lead through service. And we ser we, we're, we're in the front serving. Not, not waiting for someone to, to, to do something for us. So that's the spirit of this house. So everybody that's a son or daughter here, they have to have a spirit 
of service on them. They have to be servants, not people that's looking for somebody to serve them. And because that's the, the spirit of this house. So I put to lead here, you got to be a servant. Um, the other spirit that we operate in is definitely, and I don't say this boastful, but a spirit of excellence. So if we're going to do something, we're going to do it right. We're not going to slap nothing together. If we're going to get it done, if we're going to have something happen, it's going to be right to the best of the ability. That's probably why this place here has, has frustrated myself so much. It's because I can't, I can't do this place the way I want to do it. You know, the first thing I would do is redo those bathrooms downstairs. That's the first thing I would do. Ain't nothing worse than going in a bathroom that ain't right. <laughs> so, I mean, but, but, you know, my wife and I do things. That's why, you know, when we, when we do our anniversary, we do it big. I mean, we do it big and we do it right. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we go all out. You know, because we, we, when people come here, we want them to see this is a place of excellence. You know, we, when we did the sound system here, we bought the best equipment that our money could buy. You know what I'm saying? We got the best microphones that our money could buy. We, we did the best we could do. We ain't slapped no system together. You know, we, we do our best with what we have. You know what I'm saying? And that's the spirit of his house. You can't be a, a you know, somebody that's just kind of, you know, well, you know, just slap it together, you know. That's not the spirit of this house. And, um, and as put here, you know, we expect, you know, from our spiritual sons and daughters to be excellent. You know, and that's just to do the best you can do. That's all. That's all that means. Do the best you can do. We do our food pantry. We want it to be excellent. We have to, I'll put our food pantry up against anybody else's food pantry in terms of the quality of food that we give people that we serve. No question about it. Our food pantry is so loaded with food, we could barely walk around in it. <laughs> I mean, it's loaded, man. Loaded. And we bless people like crazy, you know. So, um, finally, and I'm going to close right here, is you got to have the willingness. And again, this, all, this almost goes without saying, but you must be willing to make the commitment to be a leader. And, uh, and I was put here, you know, I'm asking you, I'm not telling you. And if you don't want to assume responsibility, all you got to do is say so. And we will love you regardless. <laughs> all you got to do is say so. I'm not really ready to take that commitment on. I don't, I don't think I can handle that. That's, that's all right for me. You can just, you know, come here and we'll love you. But when we're looking for when people, you say, I'm going to be a leader here, then I expect you to lead. You know what I'm saying? I expect you to be a leader here, to act like a leader, to serve as a leader. I'd be just saying, well, you know, I don't want to be no leader. I just want to sit in the pew. Go ahead. I love, I'll still love you. Go ahead and just come when you, when people that come when they feel like it. <laughs> and, you know, when people come, they come when they feel like it. Okay. I still love them. We walk in the door. I give them a big hug. And, you know, I tell them I love them too. And I do. But if you say I'm going to lead, then I expect you to lead. Does that make sense? So I'm going to close right there. I'll pick this up next week um, with a few other things. But I wanted to get that out because, again, we're about to make this, this transition. And see, you know, God can do great things with, with a small group of people. You know, it's amazing. But, um, you know, Jesus had 12 people. 
that he personally groomed and one of them was a betrayer but he personally groomed them and when he went on they took the world by storm you know what I'm saying and he had hundreds thousands of people following him but 12 people is what he used to set this world on fire you know what I'm saying so it doesn't take big old huge groups I mean he preached to these people man he gave them a hard message one time and everybody left and the only people that was around him was the 12. And he said, you're going to leave too? And Peter said, you know, you, Master, you have the words to eternal life. Where are we going to go? But all those hundreds and thousands of people that were following, he gave them a word one time, a rough word one time. They, they, they were done. They turned around. and The Bible says from that point, they followed him no further. <laughs> so it ain't about the the number of people it's about the impact that you can make and that's why that's why you know when I look at things like you know the work we do at the food pantry you know I'll share this scripture with you real quick and um, I was studying and God showed me this and I think I'm going to use this this scripture as uh, for our benevolence offering now it's in Proverbs 28 27 it says he who gives to the poor will never want but he who shuts his eyes from their need will have many curses. He who gives to the poor will never want. I, I just, I, 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 when I saw that today, it just, it blessed me so much. I said, you know what, I, I know the, because of the impact that we make with doing things like our food pantry. That's why God blessed his ministry and puts us in a position where we can buy our building after five years. And that we don't have hundreds of people. But when you're when you bless the poor, you'll never want. You'll never you'll never want. You'll never be in need if you bless the poor. You shut your eyes though, you know, then you'll have problems. But I believe, you no know, without a question, that our the food pantry that we have, because of how awesome it is and, and how much we bless people that has sustained this ministry. No question about that. So anyway. I'm going to close right there. Just lift your hands to Jesus. We'll close. But Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us tonight. We thank you for everything that you have said to us tonight. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that our leaders will begin to stand, that they'll serve as leaders that they will be not just capable, but make themselves available. And then not just be available, but then have sustainability where they can last for a long period of time. Let them become sons or daughters so that they can begin to get the spirit that's on this house, the spirit that's on my wife and I. Let it be imparted to them as sons and daughters and let them begin to live that. And then we are praying for those that will have the willingness to serve in this house and to be ready to take on whatever challenges that we have, whatever blessings that we encounter when we go to our new building. Help us be, to be a great blessing to the people that you're, you're sending us to. And I thank you, Father, for giving us leaders that will help us carry the load. 
And Father, for we just thank you and bless you. We give you all the praise, the glory. We give you honor. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, amen. Come on, let's just give Jesus a praise. Amen, amen, amen.